live one here. <laughs> Batman, nineteen eighty nine. So you and I are both eight years old. What do you remember? Do you, do you remember anything about that summer? Do you remember like anticipating the film? So I'd only just got into Batman, so I was kind of just discovering the comics. So I didn't really, the film didn't really get on my radar until it was out to rent. And I, I remember watching the network premiere of it, and I was actually really scared because I was, uh, I, I was a bit of a wuss as a child, and I was scared of everything. In many ways, I still am. So I was really scared. And as the credits were going, Jack Palance's name came up on the credits. And my dad goes, because we're watching it together as a family. And my dad goes, oh, Jack Palance. He's got a face like a flat fish. (laughs) And I went, because I was even, because that scared me, the idea of a man with the face of a fish. (laughs) So I know it was the network premiere, because every time I watched that tape, which was every Saturday for a while, um, It it would say, now the network premiere of Batman. And they changed the BBC logo into a little bat signal, I remember. And they didn't cut out that many scenes. And I remember the scenes they cut out because I only found out about them years later when I watched the proper version. So they cut out um, Eckhart, Lieutenant Eckhart, saying, you're full of shit, or I think you're full of shit. I can't remember what he says in the cut version, but he doesn't say that. And they cut out Joker looking through Vicky Vale's portfolio going, crap, crap, crap. <laughs> I didn't know he did that until years later. And obviously, they uh, cut out the burnt corpse of that guy, Antoine, and uh, Joker going, you're a ruthless son of a bitch. I'm glad you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't know. And also, at the end, over the credits, over... Um, uh, Prince singing Scandalous beautifully. <laughs> I think it's Scandalous yeah, over it the is. end credits. Yeah. 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 Um, you've got, you had a BBC announcer going, next on BBC One, those birds of a feather will be flying their <laughs> chigwell poop. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. I wish they put, so they should it, have put that on as a DVD extra. They should have put yeah, that on the Blu ray. Yeah. Like they, they should have played that 12A version and kept the birds of a feather at the end. Yeah. Um, actually, I got um, I got the Blu-ray of of it this week, um, you know, so I could watch it before we did the podcast. And um, and actually, some of the, the some of the extras on it are really good. In in like some of the featurettes on the Batman film, Stan Lee turns up. Really? It's like yeah, it's like the man even gets cameos in DC films. And, and and literally, it's like he gets one line. It's just like Stan Lee goes, "Oh yeah, Batman, that was a great film," and like that's it. <laughs> So he's just hanging around the set, hustling for work. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's worth talking about Bob Kane for a minute, because a lot of our listeners might not know about and much about him, and he's quite an interesting character, isn't he? He certainly is. By interesting characters, you mean a con man? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) by interesting character, I mean he was a complete bastard. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) he was. And um, but there's lots of interesting stories about him, isn't there? Like, uh, uh, well, first, let me put it in context for people who don't know. Bob Kane, he's widely credited, well, he is credited as the creator of Batman. But he didn't really. It was the writer Bill Finger that Finger. created him. I and found Bob out King... recently it's pronounced Finger to rhyme with Zinger. Really? Yeah, well, fact. Maybe 
something else for teaching you there. So it was Bill Finger who uh, created him. He was the writer. And Bob Kane was the artist on it. But I don't know. I guess Bob Kane was better at getting his name done or signing the right documents or something, wasn't he? And uh, basically got all the credit. And Bill Finger died in poverty. Shall I tell that story? It's on the internet. Now, I don't know who to credit to this story to off the top of my head, but it's an amazing story about Bob Kane. So if you want to know who originally told this story, just Google Bob Kane clowns and you'll <laughs> find it. Uh, this bloke telling this story, whoever it was, um, he knew Bob Kane and um, he was like talking to Bob Kane one day and he was say, talking about how like, the studios, uh, his studio did a, did all the drawing for him and all this. And he was saying something like, oh, Bob, it's a shame you don't do any of your own drawing anymore. And Bob says, well, let me show you something. So he takes this guy, Bob Kane takes this guy into another room. And in this room, it's full of paintings of sad clowns, just like these really kind of hacky, cliched kind of <laughs> sad clown paintings. And like Bob Kane was like, this is what I put all my work into. This is what I put my heart and soul into. And this is what I'm going to be remembered for. Even more than Batman, they're going to remember me for these these sad clowns. So this guy's like, oh, all right then. And then like a few weeks later, this guy, whoever it was, is talking to to another artist or another person. And they, um, the other guy says, oh, you hear, um, uh, you hear Bob Kane's getting sued. And... Uh, this other guy said, uh, well, so one of his Batman artists is suing him. That That's weird. I thought they knew the deal there. I thought they knew that he'd get all the credit. And the other guy goes, no, no, it's not his Batman artist suing him. It's the guy who draws all those clowns for him. <laughs> <laughs> for something dinged then. What was that? Sorry, something went what? Something went ding then. I don't know what it was. Oh, I didn't hear it at my end. Is it? Was it your phone? Maybe it's every time I tell an uncredited anecdote. <laughs> I think that's what it was. Get When I was a kid, and we are talking like five or six years old now, I thought the 60s Batman series was like dead straight down the line, proper <laughs> yeah. drama. Like, I, you know, this business about it being like can't be fun. It's just like, no, no, this is like, this is like a serious crime drama about Batman. Um, and that's kind of my memory of, you know, and that, that would be my first Batman memory, actually. I think that probably would have been like my first interaction with the characters watching this, watching the '60s series, and thinking it was dead serious. I remember asking my dad because um, when I was playing with me Batman figures, I like to get the continuity straight. You know, whatever <laughs> I, I like to know. Even as a child, I like to know which continuity I was playing in <laughs> and getting all the details right. So I remember asking my dad, like, oh, does he does he always need the bat poles to to change costume? Or, or does he, like, can he wear it under his clothes? And, like, my dad was just, oh, no, he needs the bat poles. He needs the bat poles. So I had to contrive in my, in my game a way for him to, to get changed in using the bat poles. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to get the... the had to be accurate. <laughs> <laughs> well, just, just 
funny looking back as well. And my dad was like, oh, yes, all he needs the bat. He did not know. <laughs> Indulging me. Like. So by the late 70s then, Superman comes out and it's a huge hit. Like, um, you know, one of the massive blockbuster mega hits. And then the general view apparently on Hollywood was, well, Batman's got to be next. He's the next obvious one to do. Um, so um, Michael Uslan, um sort of set up a production company but apparently even though superman was huge they couldn't get it off the ground in like the late 70s early 80s but they went as far as getting marshall rogers um to do like production sketches and stuff you know if you don't know who marshall rogers is in the 1970s um he was probably he was one of the top what top three batman artists if neil adams was the number one batman artist jim aparo and yeah. marshall rogers i guess they'd be the holy trinity of batman artists in the 1970s who were and of course they were a lot more you know dark night kind of artists they weren't at all like the colorful yeah. 60s thing they were a lot more you know i don't want to use the word realistic but um plausible you know they were talking about doing a potential period art deco batman film in the mid 80s i mean that's i mean talk about a mad alternate universe you could have like been 85 ivan reitman comes off ghostbusters and does like an art deco 1940s batman film that would have been good you know with production art by marshall rogers that would have been mad i I honestly think we got the best deal though in our universe because i was thinking about this the other day I, i think i might have messaged you about it i think we got tim burton at the right time in his career for Batman. Sam Hamm was the first scriptwriter who worked with Tim Burton. They employed, you know, they decided they were going to go with Tim Burton in the mid-1980s. Um, and, and of course, uh, Tim Burton's background was in um, graphic art. He was, a, you know, he started off as a graphic artist before going into animation. So it does kind of make sense to employ this guy. You know, if you're doing, like, a comic book movie, you get someone who understands the the medium i suppose or the art you know I, I don't think he was a comic book fan but you know he was definitely an illustrator so he understood that side of things um oh here we go pop quiz hot shot what sam ham's connection with batman begins oh uh, oh i i know this one yeah sam ham created the character of Henri ducard uh in blind justice which is a story he wrote for DC, a Batman story wrote for DC on the back of writing the script for the 89 Batman movie. And of course, Henri Ducard was uh, Liam Neeson's character, or at least, spoiler alert, who Liam Neeson's character was pretending to be in Batman Begins. I knew you, <laughs> I knew I wanted to get you out with that one. I knew you'd do it. <laughs> Of all the technical people behind the scenes, I think the two major people, apart from the director himself and the scriptwriters, are um, Anton First, the production designer, which we can talk about yeah. him a bit more in a bit, um, and Danny Elfman. Now, I don't know about you, and, and I don't really want to be particularly mean about Danny Elfman, but after the after Batman, I aren't, I'm not particularly taken with the work I've heard him do. Um, he did a lot of superhero stuff, and I found a lot of his other superhero stuff very generic and phoned in. Um, like, he'd found his niche, he'd made his money, and that was it. And that, to me, that sort of, you know, since that point, has disguised the fact that on watching the Batman film again, 
like the music throughout is amazing and like if you focus on some bits it's like really clever some of the way he weaves the different themes in and stuff it, it, it's just brilliant it's absolutely brilliant i think it because it has to be when we talk about superhero themes you've got the 1960s batman theme you've got john williams's you know amazing never to be stopped super topped superman theme and you've got this danny elfman batman theme you know it's surely yeah. it's flawless surely there can't ever be a better batman theme than this one and if i asked you to hum danny elfman's spider-man theme now could you do it no way i was hoping when you said that you know after batman he didn't do anything good you were going to go into a, a lengthy defense of his work with oingo boingo but, <laughs> but you didn't it's a shame <laughs> <laughs> I hate all his movie scores. Oingo Boingo is where it's at. <laughs> I, don't th- I don't think I've yet a single thing Oingo Boingo have ever done, actually, now you've said it. <laughs> no, I don't think I have either, to be honest. Except they are in, if you've ever seen Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield, <laughs> they're, they're the band in the um, in one of the student parties that Rodney Dangerfield is, is throwing. <laughs> There we go. There we go. And you can see, and you can see Danny Elfman there in a vest <laughs> singing, <laughs> if you want to. So, uh, so yeah. So we said about how the music is. Don't all... cut that. <laughs> <laughs> it's relevant. <laughs> Danny Elfman's music. It's a cliche to say it, but is another character in the movie, as is the production design on it. Um the way the film looks, the way Batman's toys and gadgets are done, the way Gotham City is created is, I don't, I wouldn't say unique's the wrong word. What's the word I'm looking for? Distinctive. Distinctive, thank you. It is very, very, very distinctive. It's almost like a black and white film. It's not black and white, obviously. It's, 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 all, it's all blacks and greys and browns and beige and all of that. And it just brings your attention to the colourful moments. They just pop out yeah, of the, the screen then. i was gonna say that the joker bits really stand out like even when they're fighting in axis chemicals and uh jack nicholson starts axing all those chemical pots and all the chemicals that come squirting out are these bright greens and are these bright oranges that cut across the the blackness like and the joker's infecting the tone of the movie almost isn't it stop the press we're in downtown Gotham and it's grubby and smoky and horrible and the first thing we see is a family. Um, do you think people watching it at that time in 1989 who weren't comic fans, but who did, obviously, they knew who Batman was, but they wouldn't be comic fans, would they have known Batman's origin? Would they know the opening scene is an echo of how Batman became Batman, do you think? I don't know, but... As as uh, a young boy um, cowering in in my mother's arms because of the imminent uh, expectation of Jack Palance's face, I, uh, I I did ex I did think I assumed that family was the Waynes when I first saw it. I mean, it became apparent then, when for a start, when um, you know the wife calls Harold, can we please just get a taxi? <laughs> That it's not the Waynes. <laughs> <laughs> We're going the wrong way. <laughs> but yeah, no. For for a few seconds, I remember thinking that oh, it's opening on the origin, and uh, and then that brings us 
two, uh, one thing that really leapt out at me when I watched it again the other day, and one of the things that made me think if this film had come out now, all the comic fans of the internet would just write it off. Within the first five minutes, we're talking about Batman killing someone. That's like one of the first things that gets discussed on screen is uh, Johnny Gobbs. <laughs> Johnny Gobbs falling off a building. Was and, was uh, was Johnny Gobbs a pre-existing character? <laughs> I don't know. Golden age? Um, Johnny Gobbs should be introduced in the comics, I think. Johnny so Gobbs, Johnny Gobbs year one? Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised we haven't seen Johnny Gobbs. Johnny Gobbs comic. reborn? <laughs> yeah, Johnny Gobbs zero year. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... Uh, yeah, they're talking about Johnny Gobbs. Johnny Gobbs got ripped and walked off the building. Big deal. And uh, But, yeah, the implication is that Batman threw him off a building. Well, actually, um, I was going to talk about this a bit later on, but it might be a good place to talk about it here because you mentioned that. I, my impression on watching the film wasn't that Johnny Gobbs got chucked off a building by Batman. It's that he was so scared of something, something spooked him, that he ended up, like running off a building himself through fear i went into i'm sure the first time i'd watched a batman film i don't think it really registered that he was killing people in it but yeah you know but but you know later on in life you watch it and it's just like yeah he kills a whole lot of people in this film um <laughs> but i you know i might be wrong but i don't think actually for the first two-thirds of the film batman really kills anyone yeah, that's why that Johnny Gobbs thing is so weird, considering they say that, and then he's actively trying to stop the Joker from falling into the chemicals, possibly haunted by the memory of Johnny Gobbs. I don't know. <laughs> Johnny Gobbs <laughs> is a much more important character than I ever thought he could have been. Maybe that's why he's trying to stop uh, Jack Napier from falling into the chemicals, is because, no, God, not again, Johnny Gobbs. <laughs> well... <laughs> He sees his face at night every time I close my yeah. eyes. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, Johnny Cops. <laughs> I reckon for two thirds of the film, I don't think Batman kills anyone. I think don't think I think Johnny Gobbs dies by accident, possibly by his own hand. I yeah, because to be clear, that is just like you know, it's supposed to be you know, the myth of Batman spreading through the underworld. Yeah. It's not actually saying, like, oh, Batman is going around throwing people off buildings. Because yeah. um, I think, knowing now that, say, the last half hour of the film was written by a different person, I think round about the... Vic you know, I don't know if it was, you know, I don't know the exact point, but basically from Batman's attack on Axis Chemicals onwards, he kills everyone who's in his way. He's blowing yeah. people up... <laughs> You know, he's firing missiles, he's dropping people down cathedrals. He's just like, yeah, I'm just killing people now. This is just what I do. You know, I, I've snapped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was in the post. Yeah, because he just blows up after chemicals <laughs> yeah. with all those people inside. And but the thing is, what gets me about that is, they don't even have to die because... First, first of all, if Batman knew Axis Chemicals was swarming with bad guys, why didn't he do something earlier, like when everyone in Gotham was dying of deodorant? <laughs> yeah. Why did he suddenly go, oh, no, this is it. This is the red line now. 
Maybe he's just been putting it off because he can't be asked. He thinks, well, I might die in this fight with Joker now. I'd better get around to stopping Axis chemicals and stopping all those people I getting think, killed. I think it's Alfred's fault. I think Alfred let Vicky Vale in the Batcave. Batman's just like, oh, now I'm annoyed. <laughs> now I'm going to Now I'm going, now I'm going to Axis and I'm just going to start smashing stuff up and I don't care who's there. <laughs> Because my stupid butler ruined everything. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, so I think I think that's the I think that's the point where the film goes a bit crazy towards the end because he just you know because if you know the Joker's got all his goons out on the float, they didn't actually have to be at Axis. In fact, you could have said, "Oh well, Batman. Well, I didn't want to blow up Axis while there were loads of people in there, but now I know they're out of it. I could blow it up and destroy the Joker's." Yeah. The Joker's plan. So they didn't actually... But they make a very big point of going like, no, I'm dropping this cannonball by that guy's foot. And it's quite grim in a, in a, watching it in a modern context as well, like because uh, that Batmobile is remote-controlled. So essentially, it, it's a drone attack, <laughs> isn't it? Presumably, I don't know. It's not just... Is it just uh, Joker's goons in there? Or is that scientist in earlier on? You know, the one where the Joker says, we're shutting them out a whole new door. You know, that guy. Is he in there? Does he get blowed up? Keep busting. So, yeah. So, he's just beaten up a couple of homeless guys. Scared one to death. And then he pulls off the first Batman vanish. Yeah, Which is, he, yeah. he goes over the thing, the guy goes to have a look, and he's gone. Which he does it, a lot of that, doesn't he? He does. And, and that becomes his thing going forward. In all the Batman movies, he likes, he likes a good vanish. I know this is later on in the film, but on the subject of the Batman vanish, he actually does one as Bruce Wayne in Vicky Vale's flat, right? <laughs> if you actually think about the logistics in that scene, he he, he shoves a tray up his jump. And the, <laughs> the Vicky Vale's amazing bulletproof tray. That was lucky. Yeah, and he slumps into the corner and then like just leaves Vicky Vale to the mercy of the Joker. And just by luck, the Joker decides to leave and not kill her or kidnap her. And um and then she turns back and Bruce Wayne's gone. But presumably you know, well, not presumably at all, Vicky Vale is at the front door with the Joker. So I don't know, either he gets out the window <laughs> or he's behind the sofa waits for it to have a look <laughs> I was thinking like yeah. <laughs> so like or like hiding in a cupboard or something <laughs> just you know crouched in a little cupboard going oh Batman <laughs> and where and where is the Batman so yeah, Vicky Vale. Um, what people listening to this podcast may not know is that she's actually a very old character. Yeah, from the fifties, is it? Is it fifties? She's from even earlier. I I I looked at no no less an authority than Wikipedia on this. Oh yeah, um, wow. And Must she, be true. and she debuted in October nineteen forty eight, the same issue as the Mad Hatter. In Batman wow. forty nine, and the same month as the rib uh, as the Ribbler, <laughs> the Ribbler. I, you don't see him much anymore. Do you? 
he he's the Batman villain who who sounded whose name sounded the most like a sex toy. Was Riddler. <laughs> <laughs> an origin story for the Ribbler now. Maybe he's Johnny Cobbs. Johnny Cobbs! <laughs> <laughs> no, not you! Not Johnny Cobbs! That's right, Batman. I fell into that skip full of, of sex toys after you threw me off the building. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> She debuted the same month as the Riddler, which actually makes Vicky Vale part of Batman longer than Mr. Freeze, Killer Moth, and Poison Ivy. And Harley Quinn. And Harley Quinn. And Ra's al Ghul. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there we go. So there we go. She's not that great, though, is she? A character, really. What, in the comic or in this film? In the comic. She's good in the film. She wasn't very interested in the comic. But I, I, I think she's good in this film, though. Yeah, she is definitely. I like her in the film. Um, yeah. You know, I certainly think that she, um, she, you know, obviously she's mostly just a damsel in distress, as women tend to be in these films, unfortunately. Um, but she seems to have a lot more to, a bit more about her, and a lot more to do than a lot of love interests in other superhero films. But you know, she's still like a sort of, like you say, a damsel in distress, and a way for the audience to find out more about Bruce Wayne. But you know, oh, Wayne Manor. Yeah. That's the next bit, isn't it? Because they go to the fundraiser in Wayne Manor, and that's the first time we see. Um, and actually, there's a good story about it because the external shot um, of the house is um, Nebworth House, which is famously in the mid '90s where Oasis played like that massive gig that with, with which was like there's some ridiculous fact like some like one in four people in Britain applied to get tickets for this Oasis gig at Nebworth. Noel Gallagher actually tells a story about why he picked Nebworth is because he said he was completely high as a kite in the back of a Royal Rolls Royce driving up to Nebworth House and like the chauffeur or something said, oh yeah, this is where they filmed Batman. And apparently Noel Gallagher was like, as soon as they said that, I was just like, yeah, I'm going to have a gig at Batman's house. <laughs> oh, I, I, that's such a good anecdote. I wish it was attached to a better band. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just pretend that it wasn't Noel Gallagher? <laughs> someone good. Like, well, Bonehead. <laughs> well, someone good who wasn't in a way. Vicky Vale. I like Batman. Vicky Vale has turned up at the fundraiser and it's the first time she meets Bruce Wayne and of course he utters maybe the truest line in the film where she says which one of these people is Bruce Wayne and he says to be honest I'm not sure oh I yeah I never yeah I never really thought about that but that's that's really good (laughs) and that's um, really clever and I well and I think actually again it's a kind of a theme that comes up later in the film as well this idea that not even Bruce Wayne really knows who he is um and i mean let's talk about michael keaton for a bit because um at this point he was mostly known 
for being a comedian he used to be a stand-up comedian he'd done beetlejuice which was a comedy he'd done mr mom which was a comedy um apparently the fanboys as they want to do had gone completely nuts because they thought his casting meant that they were just going to do a campy 60s batman but keaton's i just do a side anecdote there right because i remember when we were in primary school and you watched robocop 2 on itv and I watched Mr. Mom the night before on BBC One, and you assured me that RoboCop 2 was better than any Mr. Mom. <laughs> Do you still stand by that statement? Is what I want to know. Well, I have never seen Mr. Mom, but I no longer, <laughs> but even so, I no longer stand by that. I was wrong. <laughs> and I'm mad enough I've to admit it. I've seen RoboCop 2 since then, and it is rubbish. <laughs> And I don't remember anything about Mr. Mom, but um, but it wasn't like this horrible right-wing freak show. <laughs> Robocop 2 is. <laughs> I remember everything you said in primary school, I remember. I don't, I don't remember any of it. This is terrible. very one-sided. You said um, uh, when we were in, like, uh, infants, I remember this, and... <laughs> You said that if you didn't complete your Thundercat, Thundercat sticker album, that never again would you drink milk. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, been, I remember I've... that. That was the year we first met. That was. <laughs> <laughs> well, the joke's you on you because I've done nothing but drink milk. <laughs> Did you complete the sticker album? I don't think I don't. Of course I didn't. Who's ever completed a sticker album? <laughs> so how can I trust a word you <laughs> oh, I don't know how you remember these things. <laughs> I don't remember whether I'm wearing clean underwear or not. But <laughs> I remember things you said in 1987. <laughs> Hi. Bruce Wayne. Yeah, so I really like that bit, though where they're down in the kitchen because uh, it's kind of like saying like it's humanizing Bruce Wayne, not just as a superhero, but he's a millionaire. So there's that barrier between him and the audience. And it's a way of saying like, Oh, he's a millionaire, but he's one of the nice ones. You know, he has, he he has dinner with his butler in the kitchen. It's like, you know, he's down to earth. He's, he's not like, you know, he's not this kind of like, um, lofty billionaire but but that sort of leads to the bit because i was saying like they really play up this idea of bruce wade's duality and how you know he doesn't know who he is and it kind of like ties into this bit as well because she says something to him like oh some parts of this house don't seem like you at all because like you were saying he seems like a really grounded person and he says something like well some parts are very much me um like the dank shit-filled cave (laughs) that's definitely me with uh, no safety railings. Yeah. <laughs> so um you know so you know it you know so it really echoes this idea that he doesn't know who he is. You know and and you know like they end up going to bed and um you know and he leaves to like I don't know is he meant to be sleeping upside down? When I was a kid that was like yeah that makes perfect sense <laughs> that's how Batman sleeps <laughs> like <laughs> But, like, as an adult, you're like, what is he doing? <laughs> she is great, isn't she? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to bust that body. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to bust that body. <laughs> and now, you know, after that nice little interlude, we're back, back with the Joker. And he's, um, 
Oh, yeah, where, this is the other thing. It's just like, yeah. So he's landed in the vat. He's got horribly scarred. His clothes are terrible. At some point, he buys a purple Joker dressing gown and hat. <laughs> Unless it's Grissom's. <laughs> is there a cut scene where the Joker's going through Grissom's wardrobe? Possibly. You know, and then he goes on to the boardroom scene you were talking about where he fries, you know... Antoine. Antoine. <laughs> is it Antoine? Is that his name? I think name? it's Antoine, Something yeah. Like He's just like, yeah. at which point did he whip up the electronic joy buzzer? <laughs> it's like, was he slaving over an electronic set that night? How did he know he wasn't going to electrocute himself? <laughs> I have many questions. See, this is like, we're joking here, but this is why it always bothers me when like people talk about Dark Knight Rises and they're always like, uh, mm, what was Batman doing up on that uh, up on that bridge drawing the bat symbol in petrol for hours? And it's like, well, yeah, if you look at any film like that, it's going to be ridiculous. And we're <laughs> joking about the Joker hunched over a soldering iron. <laughs> you know? Making a boxing glove on a gun so we could punch yeah. the television. And, you know, it's, like, it's all very well joking about it, but, like, people now, these kind of things that have become serious criticisms of films, which is a bit unfair, I think, you know. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the point. It's funny to think about stuff like that as a joke, because, like, obviously it is ridiculous that the joke is hunched over a soldering iron or Christian Bale's Batman is up on a bridge painting a bat in petrol. <laughs> that's still my favourite one of them all. <laughs> He's up there on a harness for four hours. Yeah, but I don't think that's you know a fair as a, a serious criticism of these kind of films. But which it seems like internet snark has become serious film critique these days. Which is yeah. Well, it's unfair. funny because you remind me of something that Grant Morrison once said. People always ask these questions to him about you know it's like oh well who pumps up the Batmobile's tires. And he says it's just like it's like kids never ask him these questions. It's like yeah. kids know it's only ever adults who are just like it's like because someone once asked him, it's just like, well, how old Batman meant to be? And he and and, and he's like seventy five. Who cares? <laughs> you say that, but I remember talking with you, like you and me, as <laughs> like I think we were like eleven <laughs> with a piece of paper trying to work out exactly how old he was. <laughs> Like, well, if this happened when he was in his 20s, by now he must be in his 40s. <laughs> well, okay, well, me and you are the exceptions there. Because <laughs> we were in we were in San Granog doing it. <laughs> How do you remember this stuff? <laughs> hey, Jackie, let me stick the 7-inch in the computer. Uh, what happens after that, then? Um, oh, the museum bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's... Um... It's a bit weird, isn't it? Like, I don't know what museums are like in, uh, <laughs> in America, but like, I don't know. Imagine like you were going on a date with a millionaire, and he invited you to the cafe in like Cardiff <laughs> Museum. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't, did he? I know, and he didn't. But Vicky Vale didn't seem to think it was odd. <laughs> but, oh and God, there's the bit. This is, this is the bit, right? Okay, right. So everyone's been gassed to death around her. The Joker shows up, tries to acid her face. So Vicky Vale pours water on him and he does that. Oh, I melted, I melted a bit. Instead of like running for it, 
she kind of goes, oh no, and starts patting his back. (laughs) (laughs) Are you okay? Sorry, I poured water on your face. (laughs) I guess, yeah, that shows she's really kind. And (laughs) (laughs) a fucking idiot. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, and this is the bit, of course, where Batman swoops in, saves her, and we get, you know, the, the classic joke line, where does he get those wonderful toys? Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's asking those kind of questions. Yeah, you know, yeah. Is Batman hunched over a soldier? <laughs> yeah. But uh, but then um, we see, th- from for my money, the greatest Batman toy of all, the Anton first Batmobile. Oh, just it is the best. Like, you know, if you had to draw Ben Affleck's Batmobile now, <laughs> you know. No hope. You could, could you? No. But like, if if you had to draw like a rough drawing of that Batmobile, of Ant and First Batmobile, it, it's so simple, isn't it? But it's, uh, but it, it it's it's just the best Batmobile. It's ever. just it, it you know it's absolutely stunning. Um, you know, and it you know it it just reflects the whole film. The whole production design of the film was brilliant. Um, needs an enema. So after after this bit. Basically, Alfred convinces him to go and tell Vicky Vale who he is, and he goes to her apartment. Yeah, <laughs> which is where the film starts to go off the rails a bit for me because it sort of stops making sense at this part for me. Yeah, um, no, it does. Yeah. It's like he goes in, you know, he says, and then he says, "What's he? Where's he going with a normal, you know, a normal person? He goes downstairs, eats his breakfast." Where the fuck is he going with that? I guess I wonder if that scene was like deliberately written to let Michael Keaton be a bit Michael Keatony. <laughs> you know what I mean? It is his most Michael Keatonish. Yeah, that that's his most Michael Keatonish bit in the whole yeah. film. I wonder if that was part of the motive for that, just to have him turn up and talk bollocks at her for five <laughs> yeah. minutes. Like, yeah. And then and then he's back in Batman mode with his bulletproof tray. Um, yeah, and then he's in the cupboard then, or yeah. the lampshade, or whatever. Like, but uh, yeah. but um, I mean, in this bit, I do. I wonder. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much in for it. But you know, when he's talking to, um, you know, he goes up to the joke and he says, "I know who you are," and he goes, "I know this kid, Jack, a head full of bad wiring." Is he talking about himself? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, am I reading too much into it? But is that part of the whole? You know, like you say, Bruce Wayne not being a full shilling. Yeah, I mean, like, it's really odd, isn't it? Because, I don't know, I guess what he's trying to do in that scene is, like, sort of draw the Joker's fire towards him, mm. perhaps, like. But yeah. But then he sort of gets himself out of the picture then, doesn't he? He leaves <laughs> yeah. Vicky Vale at his mercy, yeah. so that doesn't really work. I yeah. don't really know what he's trying to do in well, that. Well, <laughs> it's just like, what's his plan? <laughs> he grabs the poker and he's like, let's get nuts! Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what if the Joker had gone, whoa... I did that, you know, is he going to just start wailing on him with the poker? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like... <laughs> but he obviously knows he's going to get shot because he's stuck the bulletproof tray yeah. up his chest. But obviously not in the face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a daft scene, isn't yeah. it? Well, you know, this I, is... I like it. Oh, no, it's like... a great scene. You know, the whole let's get that thing is, you know, is great. And, and, and Jack Nicholson's fantastic in it as well. Although, you know, what is the Joker doing? He shows up. Brings the parcel, mm. then just leaves. 
that's why I wonder if that's the point where the film changes writers, because nothing really about that scene makes sense to me. No. Because one of the cool, probably the coolest extra on the on the DVD is um, uh, they they've actually you know they got as far as storyboarding part of the original ending that Sam Ham wrote that's got Robin in it. And on the extras of the DVD, um, they they partially animate the storyboard, and they get um, Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy to do like the voices of Batman and the Joker. Oh, nice! Yeah, and and it's and it's very different from what was in the actual film because you know, like I said, in the original script script, as I was saying earlier, they they sort of like show the Wayne Manor stables. And at mm. some point, I think there's a police horse or something, and basically Batman commandeers a police horse and goes chasing after the Joker. So you don't really have any of the Batwing stuff. You just got, like, Dark Knight Returns kind of Batman on a horse. Um, and the, the Joker's in a car and blows something up. And, I, and, and like, there's a circus going on, um, which because I think it's actually part of, you know, the, um, the Gotham Festival oh. that's cancelled. I think it's actually... Right going on in the original script and the flying graysons are a part of it and it's the joker who causes um the death of the flying graysons and like dick grayson then sort of like goes after the joker and has to get saved by batman and and that's how they were originally going to introduce robin and you know obviously they did cut it and it makes sense that they cut it because you know it doesn't at all really fit in the film um but it's a very interesting extra to watch that whole extra bit you telling me that makes a lot of sense now because that festival business, they talk about it so much at the beginning of the film and nothing happens, does yeah. it? I know it's supposed to be the Jokers providing a replacement festival, yeah. but you never actually see any of that festival, do you? Like, no. You know, it's... Yeah, so it's very strange. Have you heard the story of what actually happened with that Belfry, Bell Tower scene? I, I have not heard the story. Um, That was not written at all that so what happened was they tim burton found himself because they cut all that robin stuff i assume that's the stuff they cut and like you said they got as far as storyboarding it Mm -hmm. because they cut it so last minute they had no ending so they conceived of this climax on a bell tower and hastily constructed this set sending the film over budget and Tim Burton has apparently discussed in the past what a nightmare it was filming Jack Nicholson and Jack Nicholson there climbing these stairs saying, where am I going? Why am I doing this? (laughs) Tim Burton having to say to Jack Nicholson, just go up the stairs. We'll talk about it when you get to the top. (laughs) Because he had no idea why the Joker was climbing these stairs. (laughs) It's just like, but but that's the thing. Nothing really about the final sequence does make a whole lot of sense. I mean, even yeah. it was like even the bit where the festival, yeah, the the floats show up and and Joker's taunting Batman, and he's just like, "Where's Batman? He's at home washing his tights." It's just like he's not wearing tights. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like he references the sixties TV series. Yeah, exactly. It? It's just like, and it's again, it's just like I cannot believe Sam Ham, uh, the man who was so interested in doing like a dark brooding 1940s batman would have put that reference in so it's clearly yeah. a different writer who's added that bit to it or apparently no writer yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah 
<laughs> Although I do like, there is one little bit that I do like on it. It's just like when the Joker steps down from the float after his balloons are decked, there's a guy bending over as a, like, a, a little step for him. <laughs> yeah. It's like, the, it's just like, it's one of the most evilly super villain things. <laughs> I use people as step ladders. <laughs> yeah, that whole bit is great. Like, Bob Gunn, yeah. and you just shoot Bob for yeah. no reason. That's, and again, that's straight out of like 1970s comics. That is the Joker killing his henchmen for yeah. no reason. Yeah. You know, and, and keeping that enormous anti-aircraft revolver down his trousers. <laughs> yeah. Which also, presumably, he was soldering together out of bits of pipe at some yeah. point. Just in case Batman had a plane. But of course, it's a big anti-aircraft revolver as well. But he's also rigged it up with that trick flag that he uses later <laughs> on with Ricky. <laughs> yeah. So it's got different settings of it. <laughs> I just, it's just like everything about it makes me, you know, when it's just like, when he's like, where does Batman get those wonderful toys? Does he like click? He's just like, oh, he's probably got a plane as well. <laughs> I'm going to be in the workshop all night for this one <laughs> with my multiple set in enormous revolver. Yeah, that I just casually throw off a building later on. <laughs> yeah. And oh, and the other bit is like speaking of the mad things Batman does. It's just like like it's targeting computers all over the flaming shop. Can't hit anything. Batwing crashes. Vicky Vale runs up to it and is just like, "Oh, where is he? Oh, he survived. He's not in the cabin." And yeah. then the Joker turns up, you know, gets her, and then starts dragging her up the stairs. For some reason, Batman appears by like pushing up a bit of sheet metal from the Batwing's wing. It's like, why is he there? He clearly didn't get thrown from the cockpit under the wing. So was he just like, oh, I, I, Joe is coming. I better hide yeah. under this red hot bit of burning metal. I'm Batman. <laughs> and, then, and the other thing is, it's just like, and then he follows the Joker up the stairs. He's Batman. Why is Batman using the stairs? Yeah. <laughs> and it's not even like, oh, well, he lost his grappling hook. Because he uses the grappling hook later on to kill the yeah. Joker. <laughs> it's like, when he did he go on, you know, about this for a game of soldiers, and just zip up the outside of the cathedral. <laughs> but, you know, it works, even though it's cobbled together. Yeah, no, it, it does work. It really does work, I think. Although it does, you know, because obviously at the end you get like, you know, they tie the whole film together with the whole... It is sort of odd. We haven't talked about it, but it's kind of odd. I think what strikes me is watching it back, the whole, oh, you know, Batman made the Joker, but the Joker made Batman. It makes sense in the context of this film, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the context of Batman, I don't think, having the, you know... it. I, I think it probably, generally speaking, ties them too closely together. I don't know. What do you think? Um, like you said, though, it works in this film. In the context of this film, it works. And again, I think that's something with the internet we're getting too far away from. Mm-hmm. It's like with Man of Steel, people moaning about, like, oh, Superman doesn't kill, oh, he doesn't kill. But in the context of the film, that scene where he kills Zod works. And at mm-hmm. the end of the day, that's what the filmmakers should be concerned about. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the comics aren't the Bible. They shouldn't be like, obviously you want to keep the spirit of the character, but at the same time, you don't want to stick religiously to everything. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to make decisions that work for your film, not for what 
some guy's experience on the internet of the character might be. Yeah, absolutely. So, so here we are. We've made it sort of to the end of the film now. A um, couple of... <laughs> I tell you what, though. That's the other thing. While we're talking about things in the film that make us laugh, it's just like, where did the bat signal come from? It's <laughs> he like, gave us a signal. <laughs> yeah. It's like, did it's like did what I go what I can't figure out is it's like because you kind of see that there are arc lights around the place like at the bottom of the cathedral earlier on so does Batman just have like a massive bat signal symbol tucked away it is what, he just put on one of those yeah lights. that he just like stenciled on thought oh yeah this will work or like is or the reason he made one and put it on the back of a truck or something and drove you know, it to... Is that why Alfred's there? Did Alfred have to strap it to the roof of the Rolls Royce? <laughs> yeah. And while everyone was distracted, sort of like, oh, my back. <laughs> this but old man had to lift bit. it down off the roof of the car. Is the, also that bit, uh, Master Wayne told me to tell you he'll be a little late. I'm not least surprised, <laughs> Alfred. It, which implies that she's seen the bat signal, so she knows he's going out on a mission, right? <laughs> but Commissioner Gordon is lighting that signal just so he can show it off to Knox, right? Yeah. So Batman's not being summoned. He's just standing on the roof, posing. <laughs> yeah. Well, you so, would, wouldn't you? Well, yes. Yeah, so, like, That's his reward. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm not at least a bit surprised to think poser yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. but i i you know because the other thing that strikes me right at the end which i really love is um because like the music's like really positive at that point it's like the only yeah. time in the film where it's massively like you know the big fanfares go in and, and you just feel elated you've got to the end of the film and you just feel like really elated like i've just had a great experience it's just like i really now i'm enjoyed. ready to watch birds of a feather <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> But I just, you know, because he's, you know, yeah, I have nothing else to add apart from that. Yeah, <laughs> great. <laughs> Stop. Stop.